0: podcast the flagship podcast of freaking geeks media in this podcast hosts michael sarah and barry crank the geekiness to 11 covering everything from movies and television to pop culture video games books and so much more if this is your first time listening then thanks for coming the podcast is produced each week so feel free to add us to your favorite rss feed or on itunes you can follow us on twitter and facebook the links will be in the show notes Okay, now it's time to start the show.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Jacob. Hello. All right, Jacob. So, uh, we're going to be reviewing source code in this episode. And I wanted to start off by getting, you know, the history of source code, like, for you in terms of a movie. Like, have you seen it? When did you see it? Um did you like it back when you originally saw it
2: uh yeah i, I saw it back when i was in college uh, didn't get to see the first like 10 20 minutes of it because uh i walked into one of my friends rooms as they had started it and saw uh the famous jake gyllenhaal on screen it's like oh okay i'll sit down and finish watching it with him and it, it was enjoyable back then it was definitely since i'm was a psych major and had a lot of stuff involving the mind and everything involving it. Um, it really kind of piqued my interest and kind of didn't really get a chance to rewatch it since until uh, you mentioned you wanted to review it. So, but it was fun to go back and rewatch it and get that first 10, 20 minutes. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. It's uh it's a movie that I found Uh, To be enjoyable, I saw it uh, back shortly after it came out. I didn't see it in theaters. Uh, I rented it. And uh, I thought, you know, wow, this is actually a pretty interesting movie. It had a really cool concept. Kind of a a Groundhog Day um, mixed with a, like, Speed or something. Like, the movie Speed back in, like, 1994. Kind of like that really fast-paced, energetic movie where it's just this constant level of you know action and suspense involved um and I, and I liked it I thought it was enjoyable so and I hadn't seen it in years um I think I saw it um about a year or two after I originally watched it and then I hadn't not have so I haven't seen it in probably six years or so um but yeah five or six years it's been and I thought you know this is a a pretty good movie. At least I I enjoyed it, and I thought it might be a good one to review for the podcast because, you know, it's uh it's a sci-fi movie. Um, it's got some cool ideas. Uh, you know, got a good director behind the camera. Got some solid actors out front. Yeah, so why not? You know, review this movie. Sounds good. All right, so uh, let's do uh, the rundown. So source code was. Uh, released on April 1st, 2011. It was written by Ben Ripley and directed by Duncan Jones with a runtime of an hour and 33 minutes, a budget of $32 million, with a box office of $54.7 million domestic, $92.6 million foreign, for a global haul of $147.3 million. Uh, cast is uh, primarily Jake Gyllenhaal, Michelle Monaghan, Vera Forminga and Jeffrey Wright. So, Jacob, why don't you give me your um, one-sentence review for Source Code?
2: Uh, I have uh, Source Code is a fast-paced sci-fi movie that gives a very unique perspective on
1: reality and time within it. Okay. Um, mine is a smart film with some big ideas uh, with the generous helping of Groundhog Day thrown in. Source code ultimately fails in its feel-good, tacked-on ending. (laughs) So, yeah, there's that. Uh, But we'll get to that. Um, Yeah. So, uh, spoiler alert moving forward, because obviously we're going to be talking about this. Uh, Plot synopsis for this movie basically is that a man, uh, Captain... Holder Stevens wakes up on a train and finds himself in the the body of another person. So like his mind is in the body of another person. There is a uh, bomb on the train and it turns out that he can only come into this particular eight minute stretch right before the bomb explodes. And his job is to find out by doing this over and over and over again find out who the bomber is because apparently this person is going to set off another bomb in Chicago and that this bomb here was kind of like a, like a warning, you know Um, it's like the bad guys that give the monologue telling you what they're going to do. (laughs) It's kind of like that in a lot of ways, just uh, actually committing a a pretty terrifying, you know, crime and killing a lot of people, but it's more or less just uh, a precursor to something much bigger and much uh, worse. So um it's Coder's job to, you know, find out who this bomber is so that he can tell the people uh they're kind of running this program who it is so that they can stop him and, and all that. So that's basically the rundown of the, the plot for this this movie. But uh um so let's talk about this uh the script here and you know what the strengths are, what the weaknesses are. Um, and go from there. So the the basic uh, script here is, I think, is pretty solid. Um, you have this good setup here, right? Uh, the movie opens with Jake Gyllenhaal waking up on the train. He's a little disoriented, doesn't really know what's going on. And this girl that he's talking to, uh, this woman that he's talking to ac- across from him, her name is Christina Warren, and it appears like they know each other. And she's going on and on about, you know, possibly, you know, moving away and taking this job and taking her LSATs and all this stuff. And uh, he eventually admits that, like, I don't know who you think I am, but my name is Coulter Stevens. I'm I'm not this guy. And so that kind of like is the first iteration of this this whole source code, you know, going back to relive this eight minute stretch. And uh, I think the movie does a good job of kind of setting up this whole scenario. We see all the events that play out, like Groundhog Day, where, you know, a woman spills coffee on his shoe and then some guy drops his papers or somebody gets knocked over and papers fall and someone drops their wallet. and The kid picks it up and runs after this guy and gives it to him. I mean, there's all these different events that will play over and over and over again. And... What I think the movie does well is that it kind of sets up the whole scenario that plays out and th- from the beginning when he first kind of wakes up from his supposed nap to the bomb going off. And then all of a sudden, he's he kind of wakes up and he's in this, I don't know, this metal pod or something, and there's a screen, and he's, so he's talking to this woman who... Uh, Her name is is Colleen Goodwin, and she's, like, his... um, I'm trying to think there's a name for it. Uh, Like, when you're a spy, you usually have a handler. That's what what I was thinking. So She's, like, his handler, and it's it's his job. Every time he comes back from being thrown into the source code and into this eight-minute stretch, her job is to kind of make sure that everything is working properly and that he understands where he's at and that he's able to relay the information to her, anything that he finds out so that they can figure out who this bomber is. The script I think is, is good um, in that he has to come to understand eventually what's really going on. The fact is he, he thinks he should be in Afghanistan. He is, uh, he should be over there with his, his, uh, his guys, his squad. And uh, unfortunately, he comes to realize or find out that he has, in fact, more or less been killed. I mean, there's brain activity, but he's basically dead. And they're using what remains of his body, and they've hooked him up to this machine, which kind of is where the source code, you know, his mind goes into the source code and everything. Um in that, you know, this this happened months ago, that his father had a funeral, all this stuff. So there's like a tragic element to this whole thing where where he should be dead. He kind of is dead, but at the same time, he's able to live on in, in this instance to be able to find out who the bomber is. Um, and so I think the strong elements to this script, Jacob, are the initial setup, which I think is good, um i feel i feel like the the general uh events that play out where he of course as pretty much any movie does the same you kind of he kind of learns a little bit and then the train blows up and then he learns a little more and then the train blows up and then he tra- targets somebody which the first one he targets is like somebody of appearing to be like uh you know, middle middle eastern descent right so he, he follows that guy. turns out that guy didn't do it. Um, and then, you know, he finds the bomb uh, in where it's at, but that doesn't mean a whole lot because he can't do anything about it. Um, and then he, you know, eventually, one by one, he kind of starts putting things together and then finds out who the bomber is. And so did you did you like kind of how this whole, the whole setup started out and I think the events that led up to finding out who the bomber is and then actually stopping the bomber ultimately at the end of the movie. I felt like it was a good progression plot-wise and you know colder kind of deducing what's going on and who is actually the bomber. Uh yeah,
2: I actually really enjoyed it quite a bit cuz it it felt like he earned it when he when he started to find out information. It wasn't just like oh, he got lucky and got it right off the bat or anything like that. Like, it was really good to show that he just absolutely failed a few times and was absolutely wrong. So it it really kind of showed him working it out and showed him dealing with, like, okay, I'm going to guess this or I'm going to think this and get it wrong. So that clearly can't be it. Let me try and and look somewhere else. I mean, and and it was really cool and really well done to see that because that's one of the things like a lot of movies tend to do. And sometimes like you can't help but roll your eyes and be like, oh, so the first time they tried this, it works flawlessly because that's how things work. But, like, this this was really cool to kind of show the realism of, like, that sense of trying to understand stuff. Like, you're not going to get it right the first time. You're not going to get it flawlessly. Like, and it was really well done to see that. And he definitely sold it as well. Um, just every single time, even though he'd done it so many times, he was still a bit disoriented. Because, I mean, I can't blame him. I would be disoriented, too. It's Mm like, oh, you got eight minutes to figure out something in somebody else's body. Yeah. And you keep getting blown up, which I'm sure that's probably messing with him, too. The jarring feeling of getting exploded and then thrust back into that pod.
1: Yeah. So it can't be easy. And, you know, it reminds me this movie reminds me of a movie that would come out a few years later, which was The Edge of Tomorrow. Uh, if you remember, yeah, you know, that movie. And what I think really worked well with Edge of tomorrow is is kind of the same thing here, which is they try to inject uh, a human element into this movie. Uh, in that movie, it was, and they do it here, and they do it with you, you know, with Groundhog Day as well, which is you know the man at the center of this ends up, you know, kind of meeting this woman and finds with every death that occurs every time they blow up and has to go back and watch her blow up it it affects them right It, it starts to really they care about them right because you're seeing this person and you're spending by the way you know a lot of time with them over and over and over and over and over again you're replaying the same sequence so inevitably you want to change things right so one of the things that happens in this movie is quarter becomes convinced that he can Stop this from happening, right? This eight minute stretch has already happened, by the way, right? You know, in case you're listening to this podcast and you don't realize that this this happened already. Everyone's dead, right? Everyone in that train yeah. has already died. So this whole source code thing is about going back in. This is basically an alternate reality version of what happened, right? And they found a way to be able to kind of make this happen with the source code, and that they're more or less going back into. The past in a simulated, you know, like kind of virtual reality eight minute stretch where they're able to kind of replay the events, which is why this is all happening. The quarter becomes convinced that he can he can fix this, he can actually stop it from happening. But ultimately, you know, we'll we'll get to the ending here in a bit. But <laughs> you know, the the other strengths are uh, I think there's a lot of commitment from. The actors. I think Jake Gyllenhaal is fantastic here in this in this movie. I think he's for while well, he's fantastic for what's required of him. Okay, um, he has to be disoriented. He has to be frantic. Of course, he's desperately looking for a bomber. So it's it's there's moments where he has to really just do things that he wouldn't normally want to do. Right, and it's interesting because everyone around the train is kind of reacting, of course, to the way he's reacting. It's not like he's going back in time, why well, not going back in time, kind of doing the eight-minute stretch where um, nobody even sees him, right? Like, they all just sit there and do what they were going to do in eight minutes without anything affecting them or changing their actions or their emotions um, or reactions to, um, uh, you know, things that happen around them, Right. They don't see him like as like a ghost or anything. Um, yeah. So when he does something, it actually has a visible effect on them. Like they get outraged, they get angry or whatever it hap- they happen to be uh, doing is affected by his actions. So, um, so he becomes convinced that he can fix it and he can change things. But I think Hall is committed here. I think he does exactly what's required of him in the role. Um, you know, for Michelle Monaghan, you know, um, I think she does as much as she can do here. Uh, she is—I mean, her character is is pretty paper thin. Uh, if that's—I mean—I'll I'll level that criticism here. They don't give her a lot. Yeah. Um, and if there's one weakness to this script beyond, the, I think, the ending is, they don't do as good of a job as they probably could with showing why colder wants to save her and the ending that occurs. Yeah. Because I know so precious little about her as a person by the end of this movie. It's not that I, I don't, I wouldn't like to see them get this ending or, or that I feel like it's earned. I just don't feel like the relationship itself and the ending that they get is deserved because given that the movie is an hour and 33 minutes given the nature of the story and exactly what he's trying to do there's like no time whatsoever to really dedicate rather other than just kind of broad strokes about her character you know apparently she has a boyfriend and you know he she broke up with him but he's now trying to like call her which which happens uh, throughout the movie in each iteration of uh, the the eight minute stretch, um, you can tell she's you know interested in. Um, oh, I can't think of his character, the the guy he's supposed to be, uh, the person that that in in real life in when the train blew up, uh, Christina really yeah. liked this guy. And so when, when she looks at Coulter, Jake Gyllenhaal, she's not seeing Jake Gyllenhaal; she's seeing. The face of the guy that she apparently rides with a lot because it seems like they get on this train and they ride to wherever they're going every day, and you know, probably into the city for work. Right. So it seems like they've been doing this for a while because she's been, as she says later in the movie, I've been waiting for weeks for you to ask me out for coffee. So this appears to be something that they do quite a bit. They they sit, they have conversation and all that stuff. And that's great. But, um, but I still don't get the connection from Coulter to wanting to save her so badly to the ending that we get, if that makes yeah. a lot of sense.
2: Yeah. They they definitely, I think could have given a little bit more to between uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's character, Coulter and uh, Christina. It would have been, Like you said, it it would have helped make the ending feel more satisfying between them because, like, yeah, it's awesome to see him find, uh, like, find a way to not just be stuck in an endless loop. But it's, I don't know, it's just, it would have been nice to see a little bit more of that building to the relationship that he so desperately wants with her to save her. it i don't know i guess maybe that's the part of the situation we didn't see when they i know they had like uh five or ten minutes where they just kind of showed a montage of him just running through the scenarios like a dozen or so times where he just kept failing and dying and failing Dying, so maybe that's supposed to do that, but it just I don't know, it could have been done significantly better with that because,
1: yeah, I, I mean, I, it, it didn't feel
2: warranted for see, him. To that's the to thing,
1: go you, that can, far you can you can save her, you can do that. You can say, okay, we're gonna show him having you know this kind of montage, but the, moncha, the montage may say, okay, he's been doing this a lot, so here's why he cares, but that still doesn't show us why he cares. I mean, it's It's effective to a degree, but um, I think more time would have helped. I don't normally advocate for adding (laughs) more time onto the runtime of movies. Um, But I I wish they would have added, you know, even just another, say, 10 minutes onto this movie where they could have beefed up and, and made that 10 minutes specifically about their relationship, you know, and... Found a way to kind of beef that up a bit so that when you get to the end, it feels a little more earned, like like the two of them have really connected, okay, rather than the end dictates what happens, right? So the ending is they're going to get, you know, they're going to live on in this this reality, um, and so we need them to connect, whereas uh, I don't feel like they got there organically in this movie. Um it doesn't feel yeah. like oh, they've connected when when they get to the end, I really feel like this is an earned ending so that that's kind of my problem here is I just don't feel like they got to the point where these two connected it kind of reminds me it's not totally well, Trust me it's not as bad as uh Thor <laughs> um where they try to hinge that entire relationship on like two scenes but but still, it's um it's having only so much time to dedicate to it because you've got a plot that is action-oriented and trying to stop the bomb so and find out who the person is that's uh, going to blow everything up, right? So you don't have time um, to, to do that. And I think it's also a problem because of just the nature of the story and the characters and the situation, right? Because Jake Hall is a man of action, right? He knows what's going on. Whereas every time he goes back into the source code and goes back into this eight-minute stretch, Christina says the exact same things to start out the conversation. And unless he just basically from the moment he wakes up says, look, listen, there's a bomb on the train. Help me find it. um, She just becomes a person who more or less sits there across from him. There's only a few times where she is involved in any way with what's going on. But she is a character that doesn't have any inherent sense of urgency in this story. She is just another person there on the train. And so she's, since she's not directly involved with trying to figure out who the bomber is, right? Then she just, she's just there. I mean, she's a character, certainly. And you kind of wish she was still alive so you could see her like in real life, right? You know, um, but it doesn't help this story that her character has no inherent sense of like urgency and built into them like they're just there, of course, no one else is aware of the bomb, but there's no other character in this story, with the exception of Vera Forminga's character, who is real, who is alive um who has any real like depth to them. Right and screen time even, and just look at the screen time. Like you get Vera Forminga's character; she's in a lot of this movie. Jeffrey Wright is is in it as well, but he's much more. I think of a, a B character, kind of peripheral character. So the major characters here are Vera Forminga's character, and then you have uh, Christina across from from uh, Coulter. So I just think that that's kind of an inherent issue with this script is her character is there. She just is not built into this story as somebody who is there to be dynamic and to assist him and to... You know, like, if at the end of the movie she was instrumental in finding out who the bomber was in some way, then that might make me feel like there's a little more here to work with. Yeah. So... I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, if if you feel like that was the same for you.
2: No, you were absolutely right. She really wasn't involved in any way with the actual plot of like, there's this bomb, he needs to find it. And it kind of really
1: made the ending feel unearned. yeah and that's let's get to that ending actually, because you know Coulter eventually finds, okay, so the way this works is um and I kind of caught onto this earlier it does it didn't ruin the movie for me, but I kind of knew even the first time I watched it, who the bomber was because <clears throat> I think it wasn't after the first time he went in, but the second time I realized, oh, I think I knew exactly who this bomber is, so there's a guy who drops his wallet as he's leaving to get off the train at the Chicago stop right, right before the, the bomb goes off. And this kid that picks up the, the wallet, and he chases after him and hands it to him right after the guy gets off the train. So then the guy walks down the platform, and that's that. And I remember thinking, okay, after the second time, I was like, I think I know exactly who the bomber is. So it turns out that guy who dropped his wallet is the bomber. He leaves his wallet on the train because he wants everyone to think he's dead, which, by the way, is pretty ingenious. Um, the kid hands him the wallet, and eventually, there comes a, one of one of the iterations. Coulter, kind of, well, he he takes the phone off of the bomb, right? Because the the bomb is remote detonated with a phone. So someone calls the the bomb, the bomb, the phone triggers the bomb and, exp- and explodes. So Coulter is able to take the phone off of the bomb, unhook it, he uses it to call the number on the phone and hears the ringing from outside the train and sees that it's the guy who's just being handed his wallet by the kid. So he goes out, walks down and chases, well I doesn't chase the guy, walks after this guy, sees him jump back on the train for a second, jump back off and leave. Turns out he threw his wallet back on the train and then quarter, you know, follows him, seizes a white van, you know, this whole thing ultimately Coulter dies and so does Christina in that iteration. But they find out who the bomber is and what he the the vehicle that he's riding in and what he's got planned essentially in the bomb in the back and all that stuff. But at the end of the movie, right, uh they stop the bomber and Coulter decides that he wants them to kill him, but they want he'll, put him back in the source code. He wants to try to stop the bomb from ever happening in the source code iteration. And that's uh, this whole thing because Jeffrey Wright's character in the movie doesn't want to do that. He wants Coulter to basically be a guinea pig. He wants to be he wants Coulter to be the person who can go and do all stop all these things from happening and essentially just be you know a bit of a slave within you know the computer basically yeah um
2: he even talked about wiping his memory so he didn't remember any of the stuff so it's very
1: maniacal in his methods right which is yeah Yeah. but but you know as uh for uh colin goodwin um she is his handler basically and she has to you know be the one to communicate with him um and because she's communicating with him, she forms uh, like this bond with him uh, because of what he is his sacrifice, first off, his general sacrifice within war itself, you know, and now the second sacrifice that he's making, you know, um, some would see it as another um, step for us as humans, but the possibility is taking someone who's dead and yet allowing them to still live on. Um, there was an episode of uh, Black Mirror that did this, um, which was uh, fantastic, but um, but to me, I think the ending would have worked better if she would have just shut him off. Right? Shut, Break him off from the source code and turned off his machine to keep him alive and let him die. And if the the static kiss between him and Christina in the source code at the end was it, go to black, it would have been great. I would have loved it. That would have been perfectly fine by me. Yeah. Uh, but instead what we get is he goes back in the source code, he unhooks the phone. Apparently in the iteration where he followed the guy, um, um, Derek Frost, by the way, he's the bomber. When he followed Derek... And found out where the bomb was going off. After Derek shot him and Christina, the bomb went off, which shouldn't have happened because he had taken the phone, the detonator, off of the the bomb itself. And um so he realizes, oh, there's a second one on there, right? Because bombers apparently do that. They'll they'll have more than one on there. And uh like a fail safe. If one doesn't work, another one will. So um so Coulter goes into this, and this is, by the way, his last chance, because, you know, Colleen's going to turn his uh, machine off. Uh, and he does, in fact, unhook both phones so that the bomb doesn't go off. He calls his dad and has that conversation with his dad, because apparently the last time they talked, they didn't have a good conversation. So he's able to talk, but as but not as Coulter, obviously, Um I can't think of the guy's name. He's supposed to be. Sean. Sean, that's right. So he's supposed to be Sean. So he calls us Sean and says, oh, I knew your son. This is what you know, we were talking about. And and so is a way of kind of providing some closure, even if it is just in this eight-minute stretch that doesn't exist. But uh, it allows Coulter to have the the um, the closure that he needs, right? Um, and, you know, Christina, he, he pulls her up and they have this conversation and, and then it th- ends with a kiss and it goes static because that's the moment where she takes him off the source code and shuts his machine down, um, while Dr. Rutledge, you know, screams at her because he can't get in the room and he's basically, she's basically ruining everything more or less. And uh, yeah, so there's that. And uh, But instead of it just ending there, instead it, it uh, the the freeze frame moment ends up continuing, right? So it's like you just you hit pause and then you hit play again. And then uh, they fin- they finish the kiss and they get off the train and they walk around, they're walking around Chicago and and that's the happy ending for them. Like inside the source code, even though you've been disconnected from the source code, you still live on in the source code if you've if you're still in the source code itself at the time that you're taken off, essentially. So Coulter now is able to, I guess, live another life inside the source code and it gives him a second chance, basically, at life.
2: Yeah, and basically, it's like a a new reality, a new timeline-ish kind of thing with it, which they really, really hammered it in, which told me, oh, there's going to be some way that they're going to make it actually a reality for him, Yeah. when they said every five minutes almost, that's not real. <laughs> it's not a... You're not in the past. You're not... It's It's literally just like a sim.
1: It's a simulation.
2: Yeah. yeah. Uh, the fact that they said it so much I mean, told me, it's like, okay, clearly you're going to do something with that. If it would have been less ham-fisted and a lot more subtle that they were referring to it, I would not have thought twice about it and been like, okay, clearly it's not... He just because he's been immersed in it, just can't accept it in general. No, then they really foreshadowed it pretty hard that it was actually going to be a new reality.
1: Yeah, and uh, that ultimately is where I think my my bigger problems with this script are, um, you know, the setup, it's it's simple, right? Uh, The story itself is nothing terribly complicated. It's got some good ideas. It really does. I, I like some of the ideas that they have, In this movie, I like, you know, even the idea, the general idea of, of the, you know, because you could go down a rabbit hole here, right? Because inside the, inside the source code simulation, all right, that Coulter exists in, there is a Coulter hooked up to a source code machine. So it's like you could get, there is a Coulter who is in the source code or will be in the source code, um, in his simulation, and then within that simulation, so it's just like a simulation within, within a simulation within a simulation. With this, sim, you could go down a, a billion times, infinite, right? Because it's just continuing to go down into each Coulter Stevens simulation in the source code, in the same situation, doing it again and again and again within a simulation. It's kind of like in um, Inception, yeah, right. It's like you can go into a dream within a dream within a dream within a dream within a dream and just keep doing that, right? If you really wanted to, uh, and it, it exists here. So it, it's 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 it, it's interesting, but it's the emotional point they're getting to at the end of this movie that doesn't work for me. Yeah, um, I don't need. Coulter Stevens to continue to live on in the simulation, to have another chance at a happy life. I needed him to do what he needed to do and then get the the blissful send-off that I think for him would be death. Um, not maybe the, the chance to go and have yet another life opportunity with this girl who, okay, fine, he's he's relived the same eight minutes where she blows up for the last, you know, Uh, six months but he still doesn't know anything about her it's not like they said they've had had conversations and they've really connected and all this stuff I mean the the most connection they've had is in this eight minute stretch but yet I'm supposed to believe these two are incredibly connected yes I'm sure you know know, it's Michelle Monaghan she's very pretty and she seems like a very nice person in this movie like her character is, is fine but Jake Gyllenhaal and her, I just don't see the connection yet. They tried to give us that connection. And I just don't feel like it's there. Not really. Yeah. It's not a lack of chemistry, by the way. I'm no. not talking it's not, it's, not, it's not a chemistry issue with me. It's just purely from a script standpoint, I don't feel like the ending is earned.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I agree. See, yeah. now, with your rabbit hole thing, it just made me think, my God, there's a where, there's a version of it where there's just, all Jake Gyllenhaal. Every man is just <laughs> replaced by Jake Gyllenhaal, <laughs> like Coulter, Yep, in that person's body, and it's just like that's kind of freaky. Yeah, so, like that's a Black Mirror episode right there. It's just like constantly like
1: it. It's yeah, it's like it, a virus. It's got a great idea. It's a great. It's a good concept. I like the concept. I like what they're yeah. trying. To get at here, but uh, the emotional aspect of it doesn't really work for me. Yeah. So. Oh,
2: no, I agree. It, it, it could have been done significantly better to help make the emotional payoff
1: better. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. So um, I, I do like Vera Framinga's character. I like that she, you know, for somebody who shot her whole, the whole film for her in 10 days because she was she found out she was pregnant and she had to film everything in a 10-day span. Um, she gives, I think, a remarkably good performance here uh, for somebody who is, most of the time is just looking into a camera the whole time. Um, you know, they try to infuse as much into her character as possible because she really is the connection, the human connection for Coulter. Um, and I can't imagine that's easy to do as an actress or an actor to, to stand into a camera and try to, to create a three-dimensional character. But they hit some nice beats for her. Um, and I think it really worked well. Uh, without her character, this movie would have been much harder to to really get into. I think you needed her character, her humanity, and her uncomfortable uncomfortable realization that Coulter is just being utilized and and used, uh, even if it's for a good reason, like trying to stop a bomber. And that's great. That's fantastic. But I think the question is, you know, what point do you kind of ethically move past what is reasonable into something that is much darker than it really should ever be? Um, And I think her unwillingness to actually do that is a credit to the script and a credit to Vera Forminga as an actress because uh, she does a really good job here, you know. And she tries to make sure that I think you can see her struggle with a. She's a soldier, so doing what she's going to do at the end is difficult for her. But also, what wins out is realizing that this man has done his duty twice over, and if you really think about it, you know a thousand times over because he's said to get blown up in that same train explosion. Yeah. again and again and again, he's done his duty uh maybe more than any person ever has, and he or his mind or whatever you want to call it, it deserves to have a rest, i guess in this case, he gets the opportunity to move on and and live a life in the in the source code. but I like that her character was kind of like our in a lot of ways our human connection i I think, so and I thought she did a good job.
2: Oh yeah, no, she did. A, she did a really great job for how little screen time she had for like I want to say a little screen time for really just being a character that was looking into a camera mm-hmm. uh, the entire time, especially considering like when you I don't know if you noticed a little detail, she doesn't actually hear his voice. No, just sees the text. It, yeah, the entire entire time the, the computer she's talking into is just yeah it's a it's like a chat all of his dialogue is a glorified text messaging yep. for her so it, it's it's really impressive and really well done considering all the little details with her and that oh. whole situation so I, yeah she, she did it she did a really great job c- with all of it and really playing up the the hard decisions she had to make.
1: Yeah, if I was rewriting this movie, uh, the ending would be changed. Um, If I was rewriting this movie, I think I would have added a couple more scenes. I would have liked to have seen... Okay, what I would have liked to have seen in this movie, if I could have made changes, the ending, if I was going to make the ending work as is, I would have at least found a way to add in a few more sequences in which there's a point in the movie where I feel like Coulter should have gotten frustrated. I can't find the bomber. And more and more this, this woman, Christina is becoming important to him. And so I would have liked to have seen a few sequences where he just says, you know what? I'm not going to go look for the bomb. I want to sit and have a conversation with this girl. Um, and maybe just learned more about her and connected more with her as a character where, you know, and at some point that would change where he has to get back into trying to find out who the bomber is. Maybe he gets reamed out or something. He did at one point in this movie, but maybe show us a couple of, of times where he doesn't really want to find the bomber. Like, what's the point, you know, like, like I can't find it. I can't find out who's doing it. I, I don't know who's the bomber. And, and maybe just said, "You know, I'm just gonna enjoy this, which is finding more out about or find out finding out more about Christina and who she is as a person, which by extension would allow us the audience to find out more about who she is as a person you know um you know it's like in Groundhog Day, right I mean by the end of the story, you know quite a bit about Rita, even though the movie focuses on Phil and Phil a lot because the interaction of the interactions that they have in the movie, you learn a lot about her as a character, both in, you know, temperament and just substance as, you know, like her dreams, her wishes, you know, what she likes, what she dislikes, all that stuff. And it works because they make sure that while the movie focuses on Phil so much, you still because he's trying to get with Rita and because he's trying to manipulate her and doing all that stuff that he does, you by extension also find out so much about her too that's what this movie fails to do for me. And I feel like if they would have found a way to either make her part of trying to find the bomber more, okay, so there she's with Coulter trying to find out who the the bomber is, or find a situation in which he says, you know what, I'm going to take a few of these eight-minute stretches and just talk to to this person. Maybe that works better for me. Maybe it makes the ending work better from an emotional standpoint
2: yeah no, i I agree. It definitely would have it, it would yeah, it just there needed to be some more between them to to develop and
1: get to know well, for him
2: to at least get to know her. I feel yeah, like yeah from her, it's the, different uh, because yeah for her, it's very different because <laughs> but, Sean,
1: Sean, from her point of view, she and Sean have been talking for for weeks, if not months. Uh, on this train as they ride into work, right? So, from her standpoint, she's got that built in history with Sean, who she thinks she's looking at. Of course, it's not Sean, at least it's not Sean inside. Um, and so, for her, it's fine. The connection's there because it's built, it's been built into a past with this guy. But for Coulter, he just met this girl, <laughs> you know? Like, if if he would have been if his mind would have been fused with Sean somehow and he would have like been dealing with memories of her and past riding like rides and trips and stuff then maybe that would kind of work because he he would be affected by emotions that maybe aren't his right now but he's feeling them because he's kind of mixed with this other person's mind but it doesn't work that way i mean Sean was essentially jettisoned out of this body and he was kind of put into this body. Poor Sean, even in this eight-minute stretch, wherever he went, he doesn't exist anymore um, and will never exist apparently. But it doesn't work that way. So, so Coulter is just coming at this woman from like a standstill, right? He has no history with her, doesn't know anything about her. And yet, so there's no, con- the connection on his side is not the connection on her side. And I feel like that's where it, it fails. This movie fails. So, all right, Uh, Jacob, what is your your script grade for this?
2: I have an 86
1: for it. An 86, okay. Uh, I gave it an 81. Um, And mostly it's just based on what we talked about. I think I would have changed some things and I think I would have altered the ending or at least made the ending more palatable with adding some additional scenes in to this movie, which would have helped. But I do like the movie in its script quite a bit um it is what it is it's a fast-paced it's an, a movie it's an hour and a half long it knows what it is um and it it sticks to that and but it also inf- it's infused the script is with really cool ideas and it's definitely a hard sci-fi movie even if some of the science is preposterous and ridiculous and all that stuff and i don't really know if we'll be seeing it anytime soon or ever but Uh, It's still pretty cool, though. And I do like the ideas that they present. uh, And I like the characters. If I don't like, even if I don't like some of the ways in which they kind of force some things onto the script and the actors that uh, they don't really earn. So overall, our grade is an 83. All right. So. Let's uh, talk about the acting. Uh, We talked a little bit about Vera Forminga, who does an excellent job here. And we did mention that Jake Gyllenhaal, I think, is is good here. Right? He's in the solid to to good, really good range, uh, where you feel like, given what his character is trying to do and who his character is and the time constraints, they really managed to do quite a bit. Uh, acting wise, uh, he's able to kind of pull out as much as he can from uh, what really is a pretty thin character. I mean, you get a little detail here and there for about Coulter and everything, but for the most part, all you know is that he died in Afghanistan. He was a soldier and, and it seems like a very good one. And he and his father did not, you know, have a really good conversation the last time they talked. Um, You know, and he comes to care about this girl on the train and finding the bomber. But, I mean, other than that, you don't get a lot. And I think Gyllenhaal tries to shade as much of this character as he can to make it as kind of three-dimensional as he can. Uh, And he does a pretty decent job overall. Um, Vera Farmiga, I think, does quite a bit with what she has. But, again, and it's not from an acting standpoint. Really, it's more of a script standpoint. Uh, Michelle Monaghan does not have a whole lot to do here. And her character suffers from being pretty thinly written overall and uh, just not given a lot. But as an actor, I think she does a lot. I mean, she really tries to do a lot with what's given to her. And, you know, unfortunately, it's not a lot to work with.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I agree. It, she didn't really get a whole lot to, to work with, but she did what she could with what she had. Uh, same with honestly Jeffrey Wright's character. True. Like he didn't really get a whole lot. Kind of like the weird puppet master role, but yeah, it, the everyone did it a pretty solid job, to a really good job in the movie. Just. Like I mentioned, not there could have just been a little bit more. The only the only person I probably would have seen would like to have better would have been Russell Peters, the comedian.
1: Oh right, right.
2: I I don't know. I, I there could have been better comedians. Like they had to cut ninety percent of the lines and jokes he made because of the fact that he is notably a rated R comedian, which isn't bad. But it's like why get a rated R comedian if you're just gonna cut the jokes that he would use for that in scene in the first place, because it's the rating of the movie. No, I so, agree. It, so it was a little odd to me. It was a little weird. I think honestly, he, they could have gone with somebody better, different for that. And it's partially whoever decided to pick him and write some of his stuff when partially him, I, his, the, the jokes he did say was funny. I, I, the whole DUI crap and him being an ass the entire time was like, oh, oh, okay, that's <laughs> and like he was just like a jerk the entire freaking movie up to that point. And it's like I all right, I don't know why. Like it, it's like another thing with kind of the script. They didn't really explain why he was other than the DUI. Why he was an asshole to everybody.
1: Yeah, I I don't know what that was about. I don't know.
2: I don't know if that was just him trying to be improvising and do his own thing or what or how that was going, but I, I don't know.
1: Could have I been just better. Like him. Yeah, it could have been better. You yeah, know, some of the other oh, actors were small. okay. Uh, so there's a lot of peripheral characters um, that are okay. Um, there was the two young guys, that college guys. Uh, the one guy that uh, stops to pick the the wallet up and chase out. I thought they were a a little weak, honestly. I I didn't think they were not like, Oh, these guys are absolutely terrible or anything, but I just didn't feel like they, and granted they don't have much either. I mean, they're, they're very much peripheral characters that um, really just exist in the scene, but um, what they had to do, and what their job was, I, I thought they were okay at best, but they were, they were still pretty weak. Yeah, But uh, overall, um, I'm going to give the acting for this uh, an 85. And I think that's largely on the... It's largely on Monaghan, Hall, and Farminga's performances. Jeffrey Wright, too, obviously. I mean, this is basically a three or four-actor heavy movie. Uh, yeah. Everybody else is pretty much ancillary. Um, but I give them a lot of credit, I think, because, you know, they did as much as they could do all things considered.
2: Yeah. Oh no, I, I agree. And I give the acting an 88 cause they did do a, a really good job for what they had. Um, well, yeah. And like you said, it was a very much a three to four character movie and it focused heavily on them. So like the, the little issues with the ancillary characters that, comes with the territory it's ancillary characters i don't expect the script or the acting to be out of this world for a character that has a line where he's chasing the guy with wallet saying hey you dropped this right (laughs)
1: yeah uh all right so let's talk about the directing so jeff or uh yeah uh duncan jones is the director here and he did moon uh, a couple of years earlier, and I think he's definitely a director with some some real talent. Um, I like the the way he shot this movie. Um, you know, he he's one of those directors that I feel like uh, is really good when it comes to camera movement and finding a way to make a scene interesting that might seem initially like it's going to be pretty boring, but the way he kind of zooms in on the actors faces and kind of like, uh, does like, like medium shots where there's a lot of stuff going on around them. So it keeps the scene interesting, but it allows the camera to kind of move around a little bit. And I think that probably ends up working really well, uh, for a movie that has a lot of inherent energy anyway. Um, I just think he's just a good director. He shoots well. Um, he knows how to frame his his actors properly, which is probably a lot harder than is harder than you think. or At least by some of the movies that I've seen, um, you'd swear they never directed a movie before. But uh, Duncan Jones, I've seen Moon. I like Moon. I like this movie. I've seen a couple of his other movies. He's just a good, solid to above average director that um, really, I think is coming into his own, I think. He's still pretty young. You know, he's got a lot to do over the course of his career. And I I just feel like he knows what he's doing here. Um, I think this movie could have been much worse with a much less talented director. I gave him an 85, actually. I thought that it uh, was well-directed, especially when you consider the fact that this was all on basically a train in one, for the most part, one area. Right, with the exception of him going into the bathroom. Right, uh, this was all shot more or less in one area of the of the train, like one car. Yeah. And you got to make that interesting. Get all those people around you. And it's from a directing standpoint too. Remember, it's not just the shots and everything. It's you got to make sure that everything in the scene works properly. That the sequence of events work properly. That yeah. you know, all that stuff's in your head. And you know the story, you know front to back, back to front, and. He knows what he's doing here, and I like the way he, sh- he shoots this movie, and I think he does an excellent job,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. he he did a pretty pretty good job. I, there were, I don't know why the beginning introduction to the first zooming in on the train had the music choice that it did. yeah, it was, it was weird. a little it was a little odd and weirdly intense for the beginning of it for him waking up from a dream. I did not know he was the son of David Bowie yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, um, before this, I did not know that it was interesting to find that out. Um, but yeah, no, overall he did a, he did a pretty good job. I, like I said, there was just some of the music choice was a little odd. Some like that beginning one, I, I don't know how much of a hint he directly had with it. I would assume he had some overall say in it, but, um, yeah, I would give him a 75, the, the, yeah, some of the music choices was throwing me off a little bit because it kind of made the scenes feel different than I feel like it was supposed to. So, but overall, like the shots that he did were were really solid. The, The scenes with like him focusing on, like you mentioned, knowing what to focus on, what to leave unfocused and everything else was pretty solid and pretty good.
1: Okay. Um. All right. So let's see. Um. Overall, that means that the directing grade is an eighty. That's uh, eighty six for direct or for acting and eighty three for script. Uh. You know, special effects. Let's talk about special effects because um. I thought the special effects were really good. You know, this is a thirty two million dollar movie. Um. It's not a lot of money to work with here, and yet you know they were able to take. What money they had, and, and really, I think stretch it pretty well. Now, to be fair, this isn't a hard movie to shoot if you take the special effects out; and it probably doesn't cost all that much. But still, I mean, there's multiple explosions, multiple times in which we see the explosion and the plane being, or the plane, the train being ripped apart, and the people dying and all that stuff. Um, and they do a really good job, I think, of making it look effective and pretty realistic. Now, this movie came out eight years ago. And yeah. I think the special effects have held up pretty well. Um the only kind of semi wonky, weird thing I saw that I thought really didn't look as realistic as it could was the van when they open it up and the the killer um Derek Frost opens up the, the bomber. He opens up the the box and inside's like this bomb and there's all these wires everywhere and it's like this blinking and shining and stuff, and it looks pretty futuristic to a certain extent but uh it it's like I don't know like i I watched it yesterday and I thought eh, I don't know it looks doesn't look terrible it just doesn't look as realistic as I think it probably would today um, yeah, but overall, I thought the special effects were just uh pretty outstanding, given what they used them for and, and so I gave it an eighty five yeah.
2: But, ironically it got the exact same score uh 85 um yeah there was just that and i know it was a prosthetic like dummy but it just the face of the body of jake Jellenhall's character there were moments where it did not look like jake Jellenhall. and it threw me oh, really? off Okay. Yeah. And it, it, it just, it really kind of bothered me because it's like when you see Jake Gyllenhaal, like the scene before, and like, then you see it, just to me, it did. I don't know if it was just because that it was a prosthetic, like dummy. It just, I don't know. It just, there were moments where it didn't look as. It didn't look like him. And it kind of threw me off, which. I mean, it happens when you're doing a dummy up to look like Jake Gyllenhaal. It's kind of hard to fake that. not going to lie. He's a very handsome individual. It's kind of hard to fake it.
1: Yeah, it is. It is like,
2: it's just hard to do, but, um, but yeah, overall though, I'm in the same boat as you. There's the van scene could have been done a little bit better, but
1: yeah, overall 85. Okay and uh pacing um so this movie is an hour and a half long so it is pretty quick by its very nature um but i think overall the pacing is just outstanding for this movie i think it it's, i gave it an 88 for the pacing because you know given the story it's trying to tell and granted we're going to do the whole groundhog day replay the the event over and over again but i think they edit it very well in that we don't we don't get bored seeing the same scene over and over again because they find a way to kind of cut out or fast forward enough uh, of the scene or get to the part that really matters. And it doesn't happen initially. Initially we do get some like repeating the scene over and over again, but eventually you kind of move past that and get to the part that really matters. But you know, if you look at the the plot for this this movie and what Colt is trying to do, and everything that kind of plays out, we're given information very steadily, uh, and yet not so quickly that we don't understand what's going on, um, which is important for a movie like this. As long as you understand what's going on and the plot, you know, plays out over the runtime in a pretty efficient or a quick manner, but you still understand what's going on, that that helps. Um, and I thought the pacing was just excellent here It's an hour and a half and yet yeah, I never I was never bored um, At any point in the movie uh, I didn't fail to understand What was going on at any point in the movie uh, I just thought that it was Excellent
2: Yeah no, It, it was really well done Really um, Yeah like you said It's an hour and a half It doesn't drag at all um, The I, I will say it could have been a moment or two kind of like with the, the whole kind of in combination with the script, it would have been nice to have like a moment where it was, it it slowed down a little bit more in the middle to develop the relationship between him and Christina a little bit more. It would have been a nice little moment of slowness to kind of really, Balance. It would have been interesting to see. Um that it would have been nice to kind of make it not just constantly go, 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 go. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall though it's still really well done. Um I'd give it an eighty-two.
1: Okay. All right. So uh special effects grade is an eighty-five. Our pacing grade is an eighty-five. Uh rewatchability. Um Jacob, I gave it an eighty. Um it's a fun movie to watch. It only takes up an hour and a half of your time, which these days uh is pretty That's It's really, really short short <laughs> movie. Uh yeah, we we sat down and watched this. I made dinner last night. Um and we sat down. And my wife had never seen it before. So I hit play and it was over and she was like, "Wow. That was quicker than I thought." <laughs> you know, and she didn't know how long the run time was supposed to be, you know, but the movie was over and she's like, "Wow, how much time was that?" I was like about an hour and a half. She's like, "Wow, okay, wow, that was pretty quick." (laughs) So, (laughs) but yeah, it's a quick movie. It's a it's a fun movie. It's got some depth to it. It's got some cool ideas. You know, I wouldn't want to sit and watch this every day or anything, but I would definitely you know sit down and watch this movie every once in a while. I'd have no problem with that because it is enjoyable.
2: Yeah, uh, I agree. It is.
1: It's quick. It's fun. It's got
2: some cool sci-fi ideas. It the Groundhog's Day scenario is very much a, an interesting and fun concept to utilize as long as you do it right. Um, but
1: yeah, so I'd give it an 82. Okay. All right. So 81 free watchability. Um So if we add up our grades, uh, my grade is oddly enough for the same. I have an 83 and you have an 83 overall. So it's an 83 overall grade. Now, uh, it's just that we flipped on certain areas. Uh, I was higher in some uh, uh, criteria, you were higher on some criteria, and ultimately it came out to be the same thing, so it's an 83. Sounds good. good. That's awesome.
2: Yeah, that's surprising, <laughs> like, on the dot.
1: Yep. Yeah, it was. It was really cool. Um, So, yeah, look, I mean, this movie is fun. It's a good time. Um, If you haven't seen it yet, I do I do you know highly recommend you know checking it out because it is a lot of fun uh to watch yeah. and, and to see like the situation play out and it's something that most people have seen before at least once or twice in their in their life is a movie that kind of plays out like this like groundhog day scenario which are all like you said they're always fun really so yeah uh, all right, everybody, that's it for this review of Source Code. If you'd like to send in feedback, you can do so at uh, freakinggeeksmedia@gmail.com. at gmail.com. You can also connect to us on Twitter um, as well yeah you can also contact us on our website at freaking you can also go there and rate and review the movies like we do so check all that out and try to support us if you would like to on patreon.com forward slash freaking geeks you can uh, subscribe and uh, support what we do here so all right everyone thanks for listening and we'll see you next time
0: Thanks for listening to the Freaking Geeks podcast. Be sure to visit freakinggeeks.com as well as our Patreon page at patreon.com slash freakinggeeks for more great content. Also, please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes. Trust us, it really helps. Now, if you'd like to write into the podcast and share your thoughts and ask questions, you can do so by sending your email to freakinggeeksmedia at gmail.com. You can contact Michael on Twitter using at Michael underscore Lanage. You can contact Sarah on Twitter using at Labyrinth Rose or at Freak Geeks.